السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أهلا وسهلا ومرحبا بكم جميعا أيها المستمعين والمستمعات Beloved listeners of Radio Islam International, welcome back to Hayatun Tayyiba with myself, Malima Shakira Hanja, here at Radio Islam International. Alhamdulillah, Hayatun Tayyiba is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. We, you know, look at living a life that is tayyib and we constantly are discussing this word pureness, this wholesomeness, this life that is enriched. And as Ramadan dawns upon us, you know, we are focused on having an optimum Ramadan but unfortunately, there are many of us, especially us women, that suffer from chronic illnesses and pains and difficulties and challenges that might not allow us to have that optimum and that wholesome life. And alhamdulillah, you know, joining me today is Fatima Katrado, who is a qualified pharmacist, a clinical pharmacy lecturer, and she's a researcher in the Department of Pharmacy and Pharmacology at the University of the Buts. Uh, Sister Fatima has undertaken to pursue her PhD with a special research interest in women's health, with particular emphasis on endometriosis. Fatima's research area of interest stems from her own struggles with infertility and endometriosis. She's driven to empower women to take responsibility for their health and create awareness around women's health issues, which has led to the inception of her educational initiative as founder of Women's Health by FK. That's on Instagram. Fatima is also a Let's Talk responder, providing expert advice to women related to women's health. Fatima is a member of multiple national and international societies in collaborating in advocacy and research in endometriosis and infertility. Sister Fatima, Jazakallah Khair for joining us today. May Allah bless you for your time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam. I'm Alima Shakira. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And I truly hope that um, after today's talk, we could really reach as many women as possible to really bring awareness about um, such chronic conditions. Alhamdulillah. I, 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 as I was saying to you, you know, before we came on air, that you know, it's one of the the most important topics. I think is something that we overlook is the pain that women go through on a day to day basis, and it can be in different forms. Today, specifically, we're looking at endometriosis, and we sometimes, you know, overlook this and we think, no, it's normal. Everybody goes through it. We shouldn't be going on, etc., etc., etc. And we belittle that pain sometimes, right? And Subhanallah, you know, as the countdown to Ramadan begins. A lot of the time, women are struggling with this decision, fast, don't fast, my body is feeling this pain, what do I do? So let's start with our listeners, explain to them, people might not be aware of this, what is endometriosis and how is it diagnosed? Okay, um, so endometriosis is a chronic condition. Um, We don't like to classify it as just a gynecological condition, and the reason for that is because it affects the entire body. So basically what endometriosis is, is generally you have um, the lining of your uterus um, and that's normally what we call your endometrium and that is usually shed every month when you have your menstrual cycle. Now with endometriosis what happens is that lining that lines your your uterus, a similar type of tissue grows outside the uterus and it may grow not just outside the uterus, it may grow over your fallopian tubes, over your ovaries and any other organ. So it may grow over your intestines, over your bladder, over your kidney and and that is why we term it as almost a complete body condition. 
In terms of the diagnosis of the condition, um, that is where it is very tricky. Currently, we have a diagnostic delay um, for endometriosis of between 8 to 10 years from the start of symptoms. And the reason for that is primarily the diagnostic tool. So there's no blood test that can test for um, endometriosis. And so the main and most accurate mode of actually diagnosing the condition is by laparoscopic surgery. And because it's not available in all settings, because of its invasiveness and because of its cost, Medical professionals are usually very skeptical to go ahead and just um, perform the, the procedure with um, women who present with endometriosis type symptoms. Um, we are moving now more towards certain types of imaging like transvaginal scans uh, or MRIs that can locate certain forms of endometriosis. And we're now moving towards those modes of diagnosis um, in comparison to the past where it was predominantly just uh, left Laparoscopic surgery. Mm. And so, Sister Fatima, you know, when you look at many women, you know, as you see the when they go in navigating this, they often misdiagnose, right? Is that a main part of your research? That is, yes, correct. Um, and uh, we we really want to look at how it actually presents, um, how we can simplify the diagnosis of the condition, so that number one. When we're looking at the, the gaps in terms of research, basically we have the issue with um, knowledge regarding the condition, not just amongst the public and the general population, but amongst health professionals as well um, on a primary care level. And to get women to actually seek medical attention early enough and refer them early enough because by the time women actually reach uh, the specialist level, by then the condition has actually progressed quite um, significantly and that's when um, complications like infertility become more difficult to actually deal with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whenever you hear this topic, a lot of people, the first thing they want to know is, is there a cure? Now, before you go into the answer of is there a cure, I just wanted to ask why is there such a confusion also with knowing whether you actually have endometriosis or not? Can you just highlight that as well? Okay, so the reason for that is the presentation of endometriosis is very nonspecific. So in terms of the symptoms, um, it's very nonspecific and there's no specific symptoms that can correctly identify that this patient may definitely have endometriosis. So the symptoms are nonspecific. It's very vague. So patients may present, for example, with um, painful periods, um, which we, we uh, term as dysmenorrhea. They may have this pelvic pain. They may have um, pain on sexual intercourse. They may have pain on urination. Some patients may have um, gastrointestinal um, symptoms as well. So they may have then um, constipation or diarrhea and because it affects so many of your organs um, it's very difficult to pinpoint whether this is endometriosis or not and so one of the most common misdiagnosis is that of IBS because many patients okay. present with gastrointestinal symptoms they very often are misdiagnosed for conditions like IBS and continue to live with the pain of endometriosis. In terms of cure, no. Um, unfortunately, to date, there's no definitive cure. Um, our treatment and therapy is basically aimed at supportive therapy. So mm -hmm. 
when I say supportive therapy, um, it's aimed at relieving your pain and really increasing your quality of life because it is a very debilitating condition and it right. really significantly has psychosocial impacts. It impacts your relationships. It in, it has uh, impacts in terms of fertility and so it reduces the quality of life and so therapy is aimed at being, making it easier for a woman to continue with her day-to-day activities. All right. And so, uh, so, so Fatima, I know I can just interject there. So one of the main issues with endometriosis and when it comes to the practical aspect of Ramadan now is that, you, and okay, first of all, is there a difference between endometriosis and PCOS? Yes, yes. So, so it's mm. it's very much different. So, remember, with endometriosis, we said it's this lining that's growing um, outside the uterus. Okay, with PCOS, like the name suggests, polycystic ovarian sy- uh, uh, syndrome. That is actually a hormonal imbalance, which mm. causes problems in your ovaries, and you have uh, cysts in your ovaries. And in those patients, the egg. Well, may not actually develop as it should every month, and it may not be released during ovulation as it may, um, and that's primarily uh, a gynecological condition. Right. So now, when it comes to our our sisters, you know, whichever one of the two they might be experiencing, and I, and I often find them, you know, they're using these words interchangeably, but as you're saying, it's quite a big difference. But they both experience these exceptionally long periods, and they they meaning they they monthly menses. So how first of all, when should they start worrying, and then uh, secondly, how does this affect their overall health? So remember, there's no specific. Uh, in terms of your average number of days for your period. The the average normal period, if you would say, is between three to eight days, and in some patients it may go up to 10 days. But what's very important is to note the flow. And so right. if you have a very heavy flow, ideally your flow should start off heavy for the first two to three days, and thereafter it should subside. But if you are noticing a heavy flow continuously for your entire period, um, and if your period length is um, increasing over eight days, then you should really sit back and have yourself checked out. Remember, it, it doesn't always mean that you have a chronic condition, that there's something significantly wrong with you. But I always say rather have yourself checked up. Yes, um, Diet, for example, stress, changes in medication, all can influence uh, your menstrual cycle in your period. But if you see that this is an ongoing trend, um, then I would say it's, it's, you should um, take initiative and seek medical uh, intervention. Mm-hmm. So now when it comes to the actual Ramadan time, right? So the fear is, you know, obviously because they're having this long blood flow, sometimes they're bleeding and they're fasting. So what kind of uh, advice can you give to women who are experiencing sometimes 15, you know, 10 days and then they, they're not even clean for a while and then they're bleeding again? So what can you give them? What advice, practical advice, inshallah? You know, I always say that um, in terms of fasting, our Islam is easy and it's very accommodating. Um, and I think we as females sometimes put too much pressure on ourselves. And um, if we need to, if we can't fast, we would tend to feel very guilty. But if you have a chronic condition and if you feel, for example, that you are feeling weak, you you are fatigued, um, you know, with excessive blood loss, it can really have an impact on um, your quality of life. I would always say 
if you feel on that day that it's really affecting you, take a day or two break in terms of your fasting so that you can regain your strength. Um, Include, for example, iron supplements, I usually say, during that period that you're on a heavy period. Um, And after that, once you've regained regained your strength, to then continue with your fasting. Because what happens Mm -hmm. is sometimes women push themselves to continue fasting, and then it has detrimental effects on them to to such an extent that they cannot complete their fasting for the remainder of the month. So instead mm-hmm. of getting to that point, I always say, if you need to take a day or two off, whether it means because of this heavy bleeding that you're experiencing, um, if, for example, with endometriosis, if you're having uh, an endometriosis flare-up, um, for that day or two, take a break from your fasting and then continue thereafter. Your body needs that rest. Your body, I always say, we need to understand our bodies, and when it's telling you it's too much, listen to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And in our culture, it's just, you know, push, push, push yourself as fast as possible. And I mean, the reality of losing that amount of blood, the being in that much of pain, it's a stress. It's not, it's not something that we should be saying to ourselves, it's okay to be going through this. So, you know, earlier you were mentioning that most of the cure, sister, uh, you know, the what you, you help women with is basically managing that. So besides them, you know, resting and things, are there specific vitamins or things that they should be focusing on in developing themselves and eating especially? You know, when it comes to eating and diet, um, particularly when we're talking about endometriosis, it has a significant impact. Um, We spoke about endometriosis and then there's what we call an endometriosis flare-up. So um, it might not be linked to your menstrual cycle. It can happen at any time. And what it involves is are these periods where women have a flare-up of intense pain, intense, the symptoms are intensified, they have this intense bloating and pain, and um, part of the, the, the management is looking at the diet. Because endometriosis is an inflammatory condition, there are certain inflammatory foods that may increase the risk of a flare-up, okay? And so... There's no one-size-fits-all in terms of the diet, but we always say that women need to keep a journal and keep a journal and see which foods trigger your endometriosis flare-up. And the way to do that is usually I say, keep a journal and note down, okay, when you had a flare-up, what did you eat that that may have caused this flare-up? And if you see cutting those out actually relieves um, the number of flare-ups you have, Thereafter, you can try to slowly try to reintroduce those foods and see if that is actually the cause of a flare-up. Um, just on top, uh, looking at um, studies that have looked at the types of foods or type of inflammatory foods that we should limit in conditions like endometriosis. So we would look at, for example, your processed foods, your red meats, uh, caffeine. Those are all pro-inflammatory foods that we try to limit in these type of conditions. Uh, caffeine, for example, increases estrogen levels, and, and, and it's, it's always good to cut back on that. Um, some patients find that dairy may be um, one of the foods that really trigger your, your endometriosis flare-ups. Some may find that gluten or yeast in the diet would um, really affect the flare-up. So I always say the best thing to do is to note down what actually causes a flare-up in you and mm-hmm. thereafter try to limit uh, those foods. And it makes a drastic improvement in terms of the number of flare-ups that you may have. 
Okay, so I, so I, you know, I have a friend who's very, very close, and her, I think most of us is, is, is inspired by her, the pain that I see that she goes through. And um, women who suffer from endometriosis, right, a lot of the time they cannot fall pregnant. Um, can you explain to us the reasoning behind that and also the manner in which maybe you have dealt with women who, who face, with, face those kinds of challenges? You know, there's different, when we come to endometriosis, there's different stages. Right. So, you know, women normally, the moment you get a, receiving a diagnosis um, of endometriosis is quite traumatic and they automatically start to ask me and I get this question over and over again, does this mean I cannot fall pregnant? So it doesn't mean that you cannot fall pregnant. 50% of women um, with mild endometriosis can and will fall pregnant naturally. However, in patients with more advanced stages, they may require assisted reproductive technologies like your IVF or your IUI. And the reason for that is um, because of the, the, the abnormalities in the endometrial lining, because of the formation of these blood-filled cysts, okay, the, one of the most common um, reasons for recurrent miscarriages or failure to, to fall pregnant is implantation um, of the embryo. And so yeah. assisted reproductive technologies usually aid in this um, to help the process monitoring when is exactly the right time um, to, to assist in, in, in falling pregnant. So um, yes, it does have an effect on infertility, on fertility per se, causing infertility, um, but it does not mean that it's the end all. Um, many women have and can fall pregnant, and particularly um, post-surgery, that's where pa patients are usually most successful at falling pregnant. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so you know, I'm, I'm taking a lot of your time, but it's, it's, it's a fascinating subject primarily because I am a woman and because we all, been, we all know of somebody who is going through this. And at the same time, subhanAllah, it's something that we don't really speak about as a community. Do you feel there's a taboo about the subject, uh, Sister Fatima? Most definitely. Um, Sister, you know, and the reason why I've embarked on, on, on this educational ed, uh, initiative on social media is because what we've done is we normalized um, menstrual pain, period mm, pain. And period exactly. pain is not supposed to be debilitating. If you cannot manage to go to school because of the pain, if you are taking days off from work because of this pain, it's not normal. And, you know, culturally, we've come to believe that if you cannot manage period pain, you're weak and you're not a, that much of a woman. And we need to really start changing those notions um, amongst women, you know, that if you have period pain that's debilitating, it's not normal. And we need to make women out there aware of the symptoms so that they can actually go out there and um, seek medical attention. And that's one of the reasons for, for the delay diagnosis is because of mm -hmm. the stigma that's surrounding it. You know, even infertility. Um, mm -hmm. There is so much of stigma surrounded by infertility that if you cannot fall pregnant, you're not woman enough. And, and I always yeah. say to women that that positive pregnancy test does not define you and does not make you more of a woman than a woman that cannot fall pregnant. You know, yeah. your worth is not defined by that positive pregnancy, uh, pregnancy stick. And I think we really need to start talking more about these um, conditions and normalize our conversations around these. And that just makes it also easier for women suffering with these conditions to be able to talk about it so that they mm -hmm. are not they don't feel as if they are judged um, 
when they come out about uh, about these. And so education like this about conditions are not only aimed at a woman suffering from these conditions, but it's aimed at the general population because for all of us at some point in, in, in your life, you will either know a family member, a friend, a colleague, an employee, a student, someone that you would come into contact with, a neighbor that has these conditions or is suffering with the condition. And if you understand what it entails, you'll be able to approach them um, in a much better manner. Mm-hmm. And so much for clarifying that, you know, and how, how much of the stigma influences you as a person in your own personal journey and when you are dealing with other women? Do they come to your page seeking help or emo- more emotional help or more physical help? You know, it's actually... Um I think women with these conditions are so accustomed to the pain, they've accepted mm-hmm. it, but I think the emotional trauma is what they really seek assistance with. And not just the emotional trauma, but I have women coming to me seeking um, help in terms of dealing with um, the communities, dealing with family members who just don't understand these conditions. Um, okay. And it makes living this con- these conditions so much more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. You know, opening up, I always tell women, open up, speak about these things, but do it at your own time. You know, sometimes you might undergo IVF therapy, you might be struggling with infertility, and you may choose not to tell anyone. And people on the receiving end need to realize that if someone doesn't disclose this, number one, it's because it's so traumatic. It's it's such a difficult thing to go through, struggling with chronic condition and then dealing, for example, with complications like infertility. And I always say that, you know, when it comes to the infertility, the reason why people won't disclose it to family members is because of the the disappointment and the pressure. So if you look at it um, from their perspective, mm-hmm. if a woman cannot fall pregnant, okay, and she's struggling with infertility, she number one knows that one of the main contributors is, is her chronic condition. So yeah. she feels like she's letting herself down. Number two, yeah. she feels like she's letting her partner down. Number mm-hmm. three, she feels like she's letting down the family, the grandparents who want grandchildren, um, mm-hmm. the aunts and aunties that want nieces and nephews. You know, so there's all of this pressure coming from all sides. So they may feel that I won't disclose that I'm undergoing um, fertility treatment because if I get a negative outcome, I have to deal with this negative news that I have to break to everyone. So I'd rather keep it to myself and deal with the negative news because then I'm only disappointing myself um, and my partner. You know, mm-hmm. so people on the receiving end, we always say, if they don't disclose it, don't judge them um, that you didn't tell us about this or you did this um, in silence. But just always, no matter what they decide, be there. Yeah. Be there for them. Let them know that you are there to support whatever decision and path that they take. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. alone is really, really something that many women don't have. And I get mm-hmm. over and over again people coming to me, how do I deal um, with with those in my community, with family members who just don't understand it? Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, it's, it's, a, it's such a difficult situation to find yourself in, especially when people are blaming you, you know, and, and if it's coming from your close partner, that feeling is just going to, you know, 
is, is going to just rupture and affect every single thing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all those ladies out there who might be going through something like this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant them solutions. And inshallah, I hope that they can get in contact with you as well, inshallah. If anybody's listening out there, you would like Sister Fatima Stama, please contact me. And Sister Fatima, to end our, our, our um, interview today, I would just like to know that you know, when it comes to fasting, they, I have read some blog posts and I've read some information that you know fasting actually assists with this kind of um, chronic pain. Is that true? Um, you know, I, in all honesty, there's no specific evidence that we can say that fasting will actually cause a significant decrease in your painful symptoms. Okay. Yeah. Um, however, what's important to note is that Fasting is known, fasting as a whole is known to lower inflammation. So we know that it lowers inflammation, it reduces oxidative stress in your cells. So particularly with conditions like endometriosis, that's where our thought process is that it may assist um, in your painful symptoms. Um, it may be more useful in, in patients, for example, with PCOS, um, because right. it, it is effective in reducing insulin resistance. So there we have a more clear-cut understanding of its usefulness. Um, but again, when it comes to fasting, I think even when we're breaking our fasts, it's important to make sure that we prevent pro-inflammatory flu- foods um, and keep to a healthier diet and prevent the foods that will actually trigger your endometriosis flare-ups. Jazakallah khair, Sister Fatima, it has really, really been so informative, inshallah, and at the same time, also granting us a deep understanding of how to treat people who are in these kind of situations, be more understanding, more supportive, and inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless you. Please share with our listeners your handle and Instagram, inshallah, so where they can contact you. Shazakallah so much, um, Sister Shakira, for having me here. Um, the handle is at Fatima Kathrada or at Women's Health by Fatima Kathrada. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair. I hope you have a good day, the rest of the day, inshallah. Barakallah fiki. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Listeners, alhamdulillah, that was Sister Fatima Kathrada who has been discussing with us and assisting us in understanding such a deep topic and something that is so impactful and something that we all need to educate ourselves on. This Ramadan, inshallah, may Allah make it easy for all our sisters out there. We'll take a short ad break and when we get back, inshallah, we'll continue with the discussion. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Beloved listeners, welcome back to Hayatun Tayyibah with myself, Malima Shakira Hanja. Alhamdulillah, we had just stopped for a short break. We had been speaking to Sister Fatima Katrara and we were looking at endometriosis and its impact on Ramadan, our fasting, etc. Now we as women, subhanAllah, we go through so many different phases of our lives. And speaking about endometriosis today, I wanted to touch on istihaba a little bit. And a lot of ladies out there, subhanAllah, a lot of women constantly, they bombard me and bombard many of our uh, muftis. And the question is always the same. What is the question? The question is, uh, I don't know about my, my hayr. I don't know what is sihada. I've just finished today. I'm still bleeding. What do I do? The color is this color. The color is that. And subhanAllah, because of this, because of us being unequipped to the right knowledge, we tend to, you know, find ourselves in situations where we are unable to make a decision that is going to impact our salah. And because it is going to impact our salah, we have to ensure that we are constantly taking up the time 
the effort and the energy to ensure that we are understanding the finer details of our istihada. Now, first and foremost for today, inshallah, because a woman who is going through polycystic ovaries or a woman who is going through endometriosis, she will most probably be bleeding quite a lot. And a lot of that time, she will fall under the ruling of a a mustahid or a person who is in istihada. So what we are going to do is we are going to understand it a little bit, inshallah. Uh, obviously, on AI, I can't go into too many details, but just so that we have a basic good understanding and we can equip ourselves. And inshallah, we are aware that we are not making our salah qaba. That is the most important thing. Now, first, let's get through the definition of what is istihada in and of itself. Right? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us and you know in the, in the Quran when he explains to us about Hayr, or he says that the people come to you and they ask you Anil Mahib regarding the person who is in her menstrual bleeding, showing us that it's not wrong for us to ensure that we are always asking, we're always finding out, and we are always looking for the correct answers, right? And subhanAllah, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it such that as a woman we have our monthly bleeding, our monthly Immenses. Now, I would like to tell every woman out there, you know, I've, uh, many women ask me, can I take the tablet, you know, to delay my, 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 my period during the month of Ramadan? When I'm going for Umrah, I want to delay it. You can't do Ibadah. You feel so useless. First and foremost, we have to correct our minds. This is a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a woman, you have an intense load of work. You have intense amount of responsibilities. Your body goes through so much as you give birth, as you have kids, as you go through nifas, as you go through uh, pregnancy, whatever, even if you're going through, uh, through your midlife changes, all of this is happening to your body constantly. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us something like hayyud, it is a ni'mah, it is a blessing, and it is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to change our minds, and we have to stop looking at it as something that is a test and something that is a burden. Allah gives us, and imagine His kindness, that in that time, He doesn't say to us that we have to pray and we have to read salah. He gives us the time to calm down and the time to maybe, you know, reframe where we are when it comes to our ibadah, when it comes to our physical health, etc. Now, when it comes to istihada, when we speak about istihada, we speak about abnormal vaginal bleeding. So your hayat is your normal bleeding that will come every month. It's sort of a, a general amount, and it's for, for most ladies, it's a very fixed amount of days. But Practically speaking, it is a, it is a, uh, the, the hayat is something that is constant, but the istihada will be something that is not ruled as your menstruation, right? It is not your menstruation and neither it is nifas. Nifas is obviously the bleeding that you experience after you give birth. So we, you know, sometimes we have this belief uh, that, you know, your istihada is a certain color, is a certain consistency, it's a certain flow. But the reality is in the Halafi Madhab, any kind of bleeding that is over and above the core days of your of your you know the the the, the days of your hayd above those days now there are different rulings obviously which we'll go into that but that those days that are above that we call these days tuhur hukmi what is tuhur hukmi that means that a person is 
whether that person is bleeding or not, that person still is regarded as being pure. So while you have your istihara, this is an important, important thing for us to understand, that even though you might be, you know, discharging blood, you have to understand that you are regarded as somebody who is in a state of purity, right? And so you cannot delay your salah, you cannot delay your, you know, your Quran recitation, things like that, because you're saying to yourself, you know what, I don't know if this is hayr, this is istihara, what is this, or what is that? If you know that your hayr is seven days, and it's oh, every month it's seven days, whatever comes after that seven days is regarded as your istihada. However, if you're a person who obviously has an erratic, maybe it's eight days, ten days, tw- you know, you don't know the amount of time, that will be a different ruling. But say if after ten days you are bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, we cannot now, after ten days, carry on leaving our salah and our ibadah with the excuse that I am still bleeding. Istihada is that we must understand that a woman who is in, is in the state of istihada, you are still required to carry out your obligatory ibadah, despite the, the bleeding that you might be experiencing. What does this mean? You have to read your salah, your farad salah, your witr salah, with wudu. That's the most important thing. That when you are bleeding, what you will do is, is that you will make wudu, a fresh wudu for every salah that you are performing, right? And even though, obviously, once you make the wudu, technically speaking, you would think that your wudu is breaking, but you will still make that wudu and then you will perform your salah, right? Now, you have to understand, though, that you are in a state of purity if it is istihada. But if that blood or that discharge goes onto any part of your body, that or your, your body or your clothing that becomes najis, which is regarded as false, regarded as something that is impure. Okay, if it is Ramadan and you are experiencing istihara, which is blood that is over and above your normal bleeding, you are obligated to fast in the month of Ramadan. Now, beloved sisters, this is where it gets tricky, doesn't it? Is that when we don't know our head cycles, which is why it is so important for all of us to ensure that we are writing down, we have on our calendars, we have the dates down. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes, you know, life you know, moves to such a pace that we, we are not aware of when did we finish, when did we end. And subhanAllah, you are, if you are in the state of, 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 of istihada, you have to register you you have to fast and you are permitted to recite the Quran you are even allowed to enter a masjid, you are even allowed to perform your tawaf if you you have your wudu and you are permitted as well to, to uh, to, you know, basically do have relationships with your husband if that is something that is not affecting you. So there are many, many different types of istihada. There are many different ty- cases of istihada. But for now, inshallah, we're just going to, you know, keep this, bear this in mind that these are the, 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 the manner that we have to interact with understanding what is istihada and the role that it plays in our lives. Now, beloved listeners, when it comes to people who are bleeding constantly, if you, are, if you, are, uh, you have istihada but you're bleeding for, for months and months and end, so then the ruling will be slightly different and then you, you will obviously look at which periods will fall under your hate period. But whatever it is where you are falling, you know, you have to remember that every woman's case will be different. There are certain rules that are general, but every woman's case will be different. What we have to be aware of is that shaitan sometimes tricks us into delaying our 
our, you know, our ghusls. No, I'm not sure if I'm clean yet. No, I'm not sure if this is hayd or this is istihada. You have to be extremely aware that when my hayd is over, it's now time for istihada. Then I need to make a ghusl, complete my hayd. And now I must mentally tell myself that if I'm in a state of istihada, I have to obligatory make that wudu before every salah so that I am not performing salah with a different, with the, with the same wudu from the previous salah. Inshallah, we hope, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all of us who are experiencing this, inshallah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy, especially for those ladies who are going through endometriosis or polycystic ovaries or any kind of chronic pain that is allowing them to be, you know, feel this crippling emotional baggage that comes with it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to, to balance it all for all of us and to make our bodies a place of healing. Ameen, Allahumma ameen. Jazakallah khair for joining me at Hayatun Tayyibah. Today it has been a beautiful, beautiful segment and I've learned so much with Sister Fatima. Inshallah, please give her a follow. Look and see if you can educate yourself, educate your family members, inshallah. Keep us in your du'as. Have a lovely afternoon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.